is week two of our Christmas series. We're right into um, the, the gifts from the Father, which is the robe, the ring, and the sandals. So turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 15. We read the story last week, and uh, we'll read it next week too. Um, but, but this is a parable, a story that Jesus taught of the prodigal son or the lost son. Um, and then put your finger over in 1 Corinthians 13, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but, I mean, right here at Christmas time, what a better time to speak about gift from the Father. Uh, I want you to really understand, and we went through a series not too long ago where we really just attacked the lie God isn't concerned giving you good gifts about um, basically um, your heart's desire or your wants, not just your needs. We really attacked that, so go back and read that. But one scripture we kept referring to was Matthew 7, 11, where God's saying, you know, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, come on, he's our heavenly father. He says, how much more your Father in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask. So it's God's delight. It's his Father's heart that he delights in giving good gifts to his children. How we handle those gifts, what we do with those gifts, and if we'll even receive those gifts is our choice and our responsibility. So in Luke 15, we'll pick up the story. Verse 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field, fields to feed pigs. He uh, longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son Make me like one of your hired men. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Last week we focused on the robe. 
and having the best robe placed on him, the father was telling the prodigal, as well as all observers, that his position as son was being restored. It was an immediate demonstration of complete approval, love, mercy, and forgiveness. He was not a slave. He was not a disgraced runaway. He is a son returned home. The robe is the gift of salvation, that restoration, his, his uh, righteousness placed over us that covers all sin. We discussed the responsibility that comes with the robe that when we bear it, we bear his name. We carry him with us, upon us, wherever we go. And yet there's a lot of the Christians that sit inside the father's house that carry an orphan's heart. They're fending for themselves, fighting for themselves, for my want, my needs, my, my pain, my time, my money, mine, 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 mine. And you notice that with an orphan heart, you'll see a lot of finger pointing. An orphan will try to defend what they're doing or not doing based on what somebody else is doing or not doing. Well, I don't have to come early because, well, Tommy never comes early. Well, I'm okay. I can do this because, well, I know what Missy does. And there's this bickering and complaining that that comes with that orphan heart too. That instead of seeing through the eyes of love, mercy, forgiveness, sees what should be or shouldn't be and look at that and look at this. And An orphan's heart should not be in an adopted child's heart. A son or a daughter of the king is no longer an orphan. Shouldn't have any place in your life. We are called to care for one another, not point fingers, not judge. Believe the best, hope the best, love the most. Love must have tangible actions. We talked about that last week. And then we read in Revelation 3 the warning of getting our name blotted out of the book of life because our deeds are found Incomplete, it says. Now, if all the law and prophets hang upon loving God and loving others, is there any deeds associated to loving God? No, all the deeds are associated with loving others. And you've heard the people too, haven't you, in the church that says, well, it's just me and God. I have a great relationship with God. Well, that's good for you, selfish. Your deeds will be found incomplete. Because this is where deeds, well, it's not about works. No, it's not. And it is. <laughs> you don't work your way into a relationship with God. It's out of your relationship with God that you love others. You're commanded to. It's a responsibility. He placed that robe upon his son. And then we're going to talk today about the second gift of the father, which means he places the ring on his finger. And now he's got something to do. The ring, with the placing of the robe on his son, the father is not done dressing him. 
He commands that this ring be placed on his finger. In that ancient culture, a ring was not simply a matter of vanity or excess wealth. The ring carried a great significance, much like our wedding rings do in our culture. In the story about Joseph, his father honors him with a long robe. Later in the story, Pharaoh wants to honor Joseph, so what does he do? In Genesis 41-42, it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And removing his signet ring from his own hand, Pharaoh put it on Joseph's hand and arrayed him in garments of fine linen. There it is, the robe and the ring. Again, in the story of Mordecai, the king had already clothed him with a robe, but he says, how can I honor him even further? And in Esther 8, 2, the king took off his own signet ring and gave it to Mordecai. There it is again. The robe and the ring go together. So what does this giving of a ring mean? It's the granting of authority. It's the king's authority. It has the power of the authority from his master. The master's authority. He makes decisions for the master on how to rule, not how to, as in him, telling him what to do, but how to expand, how to extend how to reproduce. It's going and doing as if the king himself were doing it. It's his authority. When the father places the ring on the hand of his son, he not only welcomes him back home as a son, which is signified by that robe, but he welcomes him back to complete authority by giving him the ring. The authority that we carry should be as evident upon us as a ring is upon our finger. We don't go around, I hope for, I wish for, when I wish upon a star, you know. We don't do that, you know. We don't. We're supposed to be walking in the authority of the king. Not in arrogance. Not in a, a blowing over people or, you know, not running people over, not, you know, willy-nilly running here and there, uh, you know. No, we walk in that royal authority. Remember, I've told you before, I just, I can't get it out of my mind when I met that ambassador of Burundi, you know, tall, just he immaculate, everything, his tie, the way his tie was, the way his, he carried himself, his shoes and everything. And when I got to sit with him in the uh, mayor's house in his, in his living room, and we got to have a little, there was only like five or six of us in there that got to meet with him and talk with him. You know, I said, so, you know, what's it like, you know, being an ambassador? Because, you know, I'm putting... I'm putting scripture behind the sucker, you know. Oh, thing. There, I did it again. Hmm. I know. Stop it. You know, I'm thinking, you know, we're supposed to be an ambassador of Christ. I've got an ambassador sitting right here. I want to ask, what's it like? And so he pulled up his pant leg, said, look at my socks. 
And I'm like, why am I looking at your socks? I'm like, okay, I'll just study your socks. And then he explained in his, you know, Burundi, is that it was like, it was almost the African um, French. Um, it was, yeah, anyway, thick accent. But he said, look at my socks. He says, the way I carry myself, the way I dress myself, the way I smell even. He said, the way I come into a room, the way I sit in a room, the way I leave a room is all as if the king himself were sitting here in my place. So he says, I take care in even the socks that I put on, that they represent my king well. And I thought, oh, that's good. You know? That authority, you know, he did. And, and then he spoke in our church that Sunday. And I mean, you, you could just, he walked in a room. You didn't even have to know who he was. You just felt there was something different about him. That's how we're supposed to walk. That's what we're supposed to, we're supposed to cause people. I love it how the Bible explains it. The fragrance of heaven where we walk by and to some will go, Mmm. Not like, mmm. But to some, it is a stench of death. That same scripture does talk about that. But there's something about us that draws people. That's that salt that we're supposed to be to the world, the light that draws people. There's something different about you. You know, I told you the story, my testimony when I went back to Nashville. I grew up in Nashville, Michigan. And Anyway, saved, married a couple years, I don't remember what it was, had an opportunity to come back to our little town and walk through, and I was walking down the street, the sidewalk, and just looking around, trying to, you know, wow, what a big change of 180, you know, from walking a sinner to, you know, walking then a saint, and had this lady run out of the beauty shop, Brenda, 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 come here. So I came in the beauty shop, what's different about you? Just knew by the way I was walking by, there's something different about you. And I got to share the gospel with her. There should be the authority that we carry, the commission that is upon us, the robe that we bear should be so evident, like I said, like a ring on our finger. And it's not like, well, you know, were you good enough this week? Were you a good girl? Were you a good boy? Had nothing to do with you. Nothing. That robe wasn't put on him because he deserved it or he earned it. This authority that we bear. In Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, to heal every disease and sickness. In verse 8 it says, and then as you go, Jesus said, now I've given you authority, now as you go. He didn't give them authority to then feel like, oh, I'm so wonderful. I have all this authority. You know, he gave you authority for a purpose. You don't have authority. You don't have a robe so that you can own in the house with the father and you guys just kumbaya, you know, it's for a purpose. He gave them authority. And then he said, as you go now, proclaim this message. And here it is. There's the, the, reproducing the kingdom here's the message the kingdom of heaven has come near close at hand why because it's wherever you go 
to wherever you go. And he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out the demons. Why? Freely you have received, freely give. Don't look for people who've earned it or deserve it. Freely you receive, freely give. John 20, 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, now I'm sending you. Think about that. How did the Father send Jesus? Did he just kind of kick him out of the nest and say, go fly, little bird? No. He didn't say, go fend for yourself. Now figure out this stuff on your own. No. All authority commissioned before the foundations of the world. He set a purpose for him. Then he gave him everything he need and sent him on, right? But he didn't send him out as an orphan. He says, I'm right here, right? As he sent, as Jesus was sent, Jesus now sends us. Think about that. We go as Jesus. Christians mean little Christs. So we walk as Jesus walked. We're supposed to say things that Jesus would say. We're supposed to do things Jesus would do. As the authority has a purpose. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, right? Jesus said, he just said, as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. That same way, that same authority, as, authority as Jesus. The authority of this Restored son, you, me, is twofold, has a purpose, two purposes. The first one is to be an ambassador, a representation of the king. I represent the king wherever I go. I represent, that's an ambassador. And the other is to be an apostle, that I expand or I reproduce the kingdom I come from wherever I go. As you go, Preach, the kingdom has come. It's now. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heard that prayer before? Thy kingdom what? Come now on earth. Now. Where? Wherever I go. As I go. An apostle reproduces the, the kingdom they're from. I represent the king. I'm an ambassador. So I bear the robe. I bear the authority. I know I keep pointing to my wedding ring because it sparkles. I just love it. I love sparkles. So I'm, I got a big crown in heaven. Actually, my sister bought me a little necklace that says, wear your invisible crown now. So I am wearing it now. It sparkles. But I'm an ambassador. I am a representation of God. Think about that one. You know, God says that they'll know my love for them by the love you have for each other. So you represent his love to somebody else. You represent him. I mean, how many have heard somebody say, I'm not coming to church because of people in the church? Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's sad. This is where the most love should be. This is where the most forgiveness, mercy, encouragement, right? I told the kids growing, you know, all of them growing up in the house all the time. I don't put up with my kids fighting with each other, do I? No, you're just like, mm. no, I am adamant that in this house, 
The world might be against us, but in this house, we're for each other. We love each other. We accept each other. We're open with each other. We're always forgiving, always encouraging. We don't ever fight with each other. We can get enough of that outside the house. This house, this house of God should be a place where you always feel welcome, always feel loved, always encouraged, always being prayed for, right? What did that have to do with anything? I don't know. That was a freebie for somebody. In order to be a good steward of the authority given to you, you must know what you have been given and how to administer it. You have to know what you, otherwise they just put a ring on your finger and you go, like me, oh, it sparkles. Sparkles. Isn't it pretty? Isn't it pretty? Well, what does it do? I don't know. What's it for? I don't know. Why am I thinking Lord of the Rings? One ring that rules them all, you know? What's it for? I don't know, but it's fun, right? Take it off. Put it. Yeah, right, exactly. You have to know what you've been given and how to administer it. When Peter was walking to the to the temple with somebody else, John, and the crippled was begging for money, Peter said, silver or gold, I don't have. Probably because he is a pastor. Anyway, <laughs> I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. And then later on, when the crowd was like attacking them about, oh, Peter, you're such an amazing man. He's like, why are you looking at me like I did something? I didn't do anything. And listen to this. He says, this man's complete healing came through the name given to us. He knew what he had. Silver or gold, I don't have. But what I do have, I give to you. Freely you have received, freely give. You have to know what you have. And you have to know how to administer it. All the time, you'll hear me say, you can't just have wisdom without knowledge. You can't just have knowledge without wisdom. You must have wisdom and knowledge, right? Hello. It's in the Bible. Knowledge is learned facts. So, I mean, I know people who are the farthest from being a Christian, but know this Bible inside and out. They have knowledge and no wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to apply it. Because I can study it and I can recite it. I can know it without knowing how to administer it. So it's not enough for you just to know about the authority of Christ. You need the wisdom of God to know how to administer that authority correctly. Otherwise, like I said, you'll just kind of bulldoze over people. Repent, sinner, repent, sinner. I mean, how many has been at the cherry festival and, you know, seen the guy wearing the sign, God hates sinners? You know, it's like, well, he says, it's in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Do you know where it says that your forgiveness is hinged upon how you forgive others? Know that one, too? You know, just to have the authority, you could end up bulldozing right over people. You can have the knowledge without the wisdom of how to administer it, and it will do more damage than good. You have to know what you have and how to 
administer it. We was talking about it Wednesday at staff meeting and again at the um, Wednesday night prayer. It's like praying for somebody. You have to have the knowledge, learn what and how. Because you have, I mean, I hear people praying this. I, I was, hey, hello. I catch myself doing this. Somebody comes up and Linda comes up. Will you pray for me? Yes. What's wrong? Oh, I got this sickness. Oh, okay. Lord Jesus, we're just praying that you would heal. He's like, hello. I already healed her. I told you to go lay hands on and heal people. I gave you a name that her healing will come. He told them to go speak to the mountain. Jesus basically rebuked his disciples when they woke him up in the boat. Why? They prayed. What? They took their request to Jesus and said, don't you care? We're in a storm. We're going to die. And he got up, rebuked the waves. You'd think it'd be all hunky-dory. Right? They prayed, asked the Lord. The Lord answered, yay! You know? No, he's like, what were you thinking? Why didn't you speak to the storm? Did you just forget what we just did? I put it in your mouth. I gave you authority. So the wisdom and knowledge is knowing when to ask God for something and when he's already given it to us and we just need to lay hold of it. Ignorance, ignorance is not an excuse in our culture. What you hold in your hand is not a telephone. The big thing that was about like this, and you picked up and... <laughs> Hello? Hello? Ethel? That was a telephone. What you hold in your hands today is a computer. Actually, it's called a supercomputer now. A supercomputer in your hand. My uncle was one of the founding geniuses of these. I mean, I remember when he was first telling us about the, the computer that he was setting up. He worked with the military. And it would fill a room, a building, one computer. And they were so excited because they typed in 2 plus 2 equals and it answered 4. Now you hold a supercomputer in the palm of your hand. Ignorance is not an excuse in our culture. You can't say, well, I didn't know. Let me ask you something. How many know all the laws of the United States of America? Anybody? <laughs> because you don't know it or a law, if you break it, are you still held accountable with the consequences? Yes, you are. You can't say, sorry, judge, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to do that. Well, right? Can't you just hear the gavel? Ignorance of God's word is not an excuse. He gave us everything we need, right? Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. He gave you everything you need. Every problem you'll face, the answer's in here. 
every decision, every situation, your future, all your dreams, everything's in here. He laid it all out for you and he made it really simple. I love it. It's so simple. So ignorance about what well, I didn't know, you know, you, you probably think this is a proverb. Ignorance is bliss. It's not in the Bible. I love it how Pastor Neil said that the enemy will try to float. What's that? He'll flood you with truth in order to float a lie. So he'll say 10 other scriptures that you're like, yes, yes, and throw in ignorance is bliss. Oh, so if I just don't read, I won't be held accountable. Sounds good. My grandma, mom's mom, was so famous for these one-liners. I get them confused in my head at time and thinking, is that a proverb or was that just grandma? <laughs> I don't know. Ignorance is not bliss because you're still held accountable. Whether you know it or not, you're... Oh, be careful. Be nice. Be nice. The word was given to us through blood, the blood of many prophets, the blood of many men and women, the blood of our Savior. Why we would choose not to honor it with knowing it and applying it is beyond my understanding. I have to look back in my own life and think, why did I wait so many years to get so hungry for it? And I have people tell me all the time, well, I just don't like to read or, you know, I try to read, but it, it's just, you know, I'm not a reader. You build up an appetite for something you continue to feed on. I have the stupid habit of eating these pretzel crackers with peanut butter and a half an apple every night. And I would be a liar if I didn't tell you I actually crave that every night. And I'm like, why? I mean, why don't I have chocolate candy bar? You know, even though I do like chocolate. Because I eat it all the time. So I get to where, I mean, we had... I don't know, two or three days in our house where we didn't have an apple. And Brian's like pacing the floor. And I'm like, I need an apple. We forgot to go to the store and get an apple. I need an apple. You need. Why? Because continual feasting upon. Is that what I say all the time about whatever you honor will be attracted to you. So when you honor the word, search it as a, you know, I'm not talking about you have to study, you know, two, three hours. I'm talking about opening the word up every day and just laying before it and saying, God, here I am. You know, Holy Spirit, you know, feed me today. What if you just fed on the word as many times as you put food in your mouth? What you feed will grow. What you starve will die. So why don't you, what if you reversed it? And you ate from the word like you used to eat physically 
and only eat physically like you eat from the word. Now, how long would that last? But you will. I promise you, you will. You start reading like that. You start getting into the word and all of a sudden you're like, I can't go a day without it. I need it. Your body, your spirit will desire it. It's time for us to come to our senses. Just like the prodigal. Come on. Think about this. If the disciples, as soon as Jesus left, started preaching the Lord's coming back soon, 2,000 years later, we're saying the Lord's coming back soon, how much sooner is it now than it was then? I mean, can you just see the, you know, the, the sand of the hourglass coming down to the last few drops of sand? We should feel that, that it's coming soon. And it, the Bible says that we'll all have to stand in the courtroom and give an account. We'll all have to stand before God and give an account. Do you really want to be what, you know, in Revelations 3, the church where he said, uh, your deeds are found unfinished, incomplete. In 1 Corinthians 13, again, if everything, all the law and the prophets hang on these two, love God, love others, love God, love others. Again, he's given us a robe, right? We're his son, we're his daughter. And he's given us authority, means he's given us an, a purpose. With that authority, now go do. Do what? Love others. Love others. Our deeds being found incomplete. Why? Because we're not loving others. In 1 Corinthians 13.1, he goes into ex explaining in those first three verses that you can, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. So you can do all the right things. So you think you're doing. But have not love. Not be extending that love to others. Wh whose love? Your love? Your love's incomplete. My love's incomplete. We can't within ourselves love others the way that God commands us to. Apart from him. So it has, to, it has to start, like Ephesians said, from where we're seated in heavenly realms with him. Why? Because we've gotten the robe. We've got his love on us. Now we can extend his kingdom with his love because it's his love through us. It says, regard no man according to the flesh. Because it's when we get in the flesh that we start pointing the finger. Well, huh, well, hmm, oh, hmm, yeah, hmm, well, hmm. You know, hmm, right? Love, it goes on to say in the next few verses, is sincere. It's always hoping. It's always believing the best, right? It's everything you wanted from God when you came to him, right? So it's okay. I said this first service cautiously. 
it's okay to start walking out his love almost selfishly. The kind of love I need, because I need that kind of love from God, I'm going to extend that kind of love to other people. I need somebody to always be believing in me, so I'm going to always believe in others. I need people to hope the best for me, so I'm going to hope the best for others. It says, forgive as Christ forgave you. Actually, the Lord's Prayer says that if you don't forgive your brothers, you won't be forgiven, right? At the end of it? Is it that one or is it? Okay, it was that. Was that a grandma saying? No, I'm just kidding. No, it says forgive. What? If you don't forget of, forgive others, your father's not going to forgive you. I need him to forgive me, especially for the two times that some people would think I swore already in the message. I need him to forgive me, so I have to forgive others. I need mercy from God, so I have to extend mercy. See, it's okay to start from a selfish perspective. It's okay. Because you'd be a lot more loving, a lot more merciful, a lot more compassionate if you started living like that. You have a purpose for wearing his signet ring. And it's not so it can glisten and sparkle and you can show everybody else how beautiful you look. It's so you can extend his love. Be that ambassador. As if Jesus himself was standing here in my shoes. It's time for us to come to our senses. We have a purpose. You cannot be an ambassador of a king you do not know or submit to. And you cannot be an apostle of a kingdom you do not dwell in. Amy, would you come back up? I want to close again with the same two-part altar call like we did last week to come to our senses like the prodigal son. It wasn't enough for him to just ask his father to forgive him. It wasn't even enough for him to ask heaven to forgive him. He also had to go and do. The word says that we should show forth the fruit of our repentance. Show me you have changed the way you think, that you have asked for forgiveness. Show me. There's nothing wrong with that. People are like, well, that's judging others. No, it's not. That's not judging. When you point a finger and condemn somebody to hell, Tell them where they're going to spend their eternity is judging. You just want proof. Oh, you say you're saved? Show me. What do you do? What can you say? Come on, you need to think these things out. Be prepared in season and out. You need to be ready to give what? Proof. Show somebody. Tell somebody. So it wasn't enough for him to just ask for forgiveness and repent, change the way he thought. 
He also had to go and do. That's the altar call for today. Repent. If you haven't um, begun or started or have a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you feel like you're more of the prodigal son that's still out there doing your own thing, it's time for you to come home today. I love it that Jesus explained the father as that he was looking for him and saw him a far way off and saw him. The minute that you say, I need to come back home, the father's already saying, come on, I'm right here. He's already looking, turning his face towards you and waiting for you. You're like, well, he can come to me. I'm right here. Did the father ever go to the son? When he turned around and he started coming to the Father, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you, God says. Then we got a message in first service. It was the Revelations, actually. That's in Revelations, where Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. A lot of pastors use that as a salvation call. It's not, actually. It was directed at Christians. But somehow we've pushed Jesus right outside our heart. And shut the door. And he says, I stand at the door of your heart and I'll knock. Jesus saying that to Christians. Today we need to repent. Would you please stand? We need to change the way we think. We've been given a robe of salvation. A robe of his righteousness. He's put a ring on our finger. His signet ring of authority. Have we been using being good stewards of what he's given us? Loving God. Loving others. Loving God. Loving others. If you found it difficult to walk that loving others part out, you need to repent today. I'm saying it's easy to slip into that selfish lifestyle where it's all about me. And it's easy to find fault in other people. But it's also easy to come back to the Father. Ask for forgiveness. Repent and do what you're supposed to be doing. 